Hey everyone, I'm your host, Lena Ebuchamra, and I am so glad you're here. Uh, as uh, you know, this is the Living With Power Hope podcast, and every couple of weeks on the show, I invite a friend to join me so that we talk about hope. We talk about how we tend to lose our hope, how we get it back again, and some strategies to keep it for good. Uh, today, my guest is, and I know I say this all the time, but it is a name in this case that may be very familiar to you, but it is somebody that I'm really excited to talk about. That's the part that you've heard me say before, but this gal really has lived a life. Uh, if you're familiar with her name, Sheila Walsh has been around for some time. Uh, she is Scottish, which uh, already makes her a favorite in many people's minds. Uh, she's known as, quote unquote, the encourager to the over 6 million women she's met and spoken to around the world. And in a moment, I think you're going to sort of see the irony of how that story came to be. Um, it's always at a cost that we become encouragers, isn't it? And so uh, Sheila is primarily a Bible teacher who can really take the Word of God, make it practical, and share her own story of how God has worked in her life in the highs and the lows with one message, and it is the message that God is for you. If you watch TV and Christian TV, you might have seen her on Life Today. It airs, and I couldn't believe this, and it really boggles your mind. U.S., Canada, and Europe, and Australia with over 300 million viewers daily. That's a whole lot of people. Uh, she sold, sold books to over 5 million uh, people, and uh, uh, today I'm going to have a privilege to talk to you about her newest book that I just got into my hands a couple of days ago. It's called It's Okay Not to Be Okay, and there's a story behind that, I guarantee you. So, Sheila, it's so awesome to have you here. Uh, Lena, I'm so happy to be with you. You're one of the women I really admire. I mean, I, I, I love your heart. I love the work that you do, so I consider it an honor to be speaking with you. Thank you so much. I love how we met. It was because of Lisa Harper and I sort of crashed this meeting and felt like I had landed in like just a lottery of Christian, you know, the Christian world. I was, you know, here I'm doing, you know, Christian ministry and trying to navigate my way in speaking and in writing. And Lisa Harper invites me to this leaders meeting of women who were doing the woman of faith at the time. It was a few years ago. And there you were. And it felt so real to me just to be among so many women that I've admired over the years, but you guys were so real. Yeah, well, I think that was kind of the hallmark of women of faith, that Christ was the hero of every story. You know, we were not, you know, you can sometimes tell stories that just make it seem like you've done amazing things in life. But I think one of the things that was key at women of faith was that um, that Christ shone through the broken places. Mm. Well, and I mean, to hone in on your life, it's so fascinating to me because sometimes we'll hear names, and Sheila Walsh is a common name. I'll tell you how I know this is a well-known name. I'm going to tell you, Sheila. It's that my mom knows who you are. Oh, and wow. So you, know, you know that you've reached like the epitome of stardom. <laughs> so she's, my mom is awesome. She tends to read the old-fashioned books, you know, not so much the modern-day authors. But when she mentioned to me once that she had read and loved this book that you had written and then you were gracious to send her a note or whatever. She just, it really already attracts my attention that this is a woman who is deep in the word because my mom really values women who connect uh, deeply in the word of God. But, but your story really is not an easy story. No, I was born uh, on the west coast of Scotland in a little fishing village. And I was actually, I was born into a Christian family, which isn't unusual in the States, but in Scotland is very rare, where less than 2% of our population even go to church. So to have a mom and dad who loved Jesus was quite a gift. And I was very much a daddy's girl. I was a tomboy and I just adored my father. But when I was five, my father had a massive brain aneurysm. Um, he wasn't expected to survive. He was paralyzed on one side and lost the ability to speak. But after some time, he was able to come home. And at first, it was fine. But then 
um, I think the blood clot in his brain began to press on areas that affected his personality. And from being just this wonderful, fun, godly dad, he became really a frightening and angry stranger. And the last encounter I ever had with my father, I, I was playing with my dog and I heard her growl, which I'd never heard her do before. And I turned just in time to see my dad was behind me about to bring his cane down on my skull. And I made him lose his balance. And he felt he lay there on the ground just roaring like an animal. But it was the look in his eyes that stayed with me for years, just of absolute hatred. And he was taken off that day to what we called back then our local lunatic asylum. But he escaped and he drowned himself in the river behind the hospital, which left me with such a huge unanswered question. What did my dad see in me that made him hate me so much? Oh, well, how old were you, Sheila? I was five. Oh, my goodness. So, so he died when you were five. This all happened very quickly. Yeah, it happened pretty quickly within a matter of probably three or four months. Um, the thing that was hard, I think, for my dad and for my mom to watch is that he was put into the maximum security ward because he had become increasingly violent. But all the other men in there at that time were in their 70s and 80s and had completely lost touch with reality. And I think just in despair, my dad managed to escape one night and drowned himself in the river. So what happened to you? Well, it's, you know, the interesting thing, the Scottish culture back then, I mean, we weren't allowed to go to the funeral. I just remember my mom coming home in a black dress with a black hat on, and she took every single picture of my father off the tables and off the walls and put them in a little suitcase, which she pushed under her bed, and we never mentioned his name again. Wow. I think my mom thought if Sheila wants to talk, because he'd taken all of his anger out Apart from the last day, he'd taken all his anger out on me and then the last day on my mom. And I think my mom thought if Sheila wants to talk, I'm going to let her initiate. You know, she had no idea of the agonizing shame that I lived with, that if you can make your own father hate you, there's something really wrong with you. Did you compartmentalize then like God's love for you? Because you came to Christ at a young age, right? You, I, I read your bio, you went to seminary. So how did you interact with the Lord as father in this? Was it just two separate boxes? Well, it's interesting because I think, you know, I've talked to so many women over the years who faced different kinds of abuse, whether it was sexual abuse or verbal abuse or, but, and we somehow find some way to go on. And I, I think we, we find masks that seem to fit, you know, and some people spend too much money because they think if I look better on the outside, perhaps I'll look better and feel better on the inside or some turn to drugs or alcohol. I basically found the perfect place to hide Christian ministry. Mm. I mean, who's going to say to me, put that Bible down or we're going to have an intervention. And God is the only one who knows whether we're serving out of pain or, mm. or passion. Because my mom said to me the night I gave my life to Christ, she said, oh, Shelia, the amazing thing is not only is Jesus your Savior and your Lord, you have a heavenly Father. And I remember, Lena, clearly thinking, wow, I have got one more chance to get it right. Whatever my earthly dad saw in me that made him hate me, God is never going to see. I'm going to be the perfect Christian. Wow. The church is sadly full of women who, particularly women, but I'd say both men and women who are striving so hard. But it all kind of came to a crashing halt for you. What happened? Well, you know, I think our mechanisms cope until they don't anymore. And I honestly think it's God's mercy because everyone, I mean, I was co-hosting the 700 Club. I've been doing that from 1987 to 1992. And anybody who just happened to watch the show or any of the staff, I looked fine on the outside, but I was desperately lonely. I wouldn't let anybody get close to me. 
in case they saw whatever it was my dad saw. But one morning on live television, I was interviewing a guest, and instead of answering my first question, she kind of turned the tables and said, you know, Sheila, you ask us all how we're doing. How are you doing? And she meant it kindly, but I wasn't expecting it, and I didn't have time to pull my wall up. And, and basically that day, I just I started to cry and I couldn't stop. And eventually they threw to a commercial break and I left the studio, locked myself in my dressing room. And I called a friend of mine, a guy called Dr. Henry Cloud. And I said, Henry, I think I'm losing my mind. And he said, no, you're not, but you need some help and you need it quickly. So I went from being co-host in the morning. And by that evening, I was in the locked ward of a psychiatric hospital, about the same age as my dad. That's just crazy. I mean, how I just can't even I, I know you I, I've heard that part of your story, but it really like you pause for a minute. How were people like were people stunned? You know, it's interesting. There were different reactions. Um, I remember some of the staff saying, you know, Sheila, don't do this. If people find out you've been in a psych hospital, no one will ever trust you again. Mm-hmm. I remember one of the leaders, not Pat Robertson. Pat Robertson was incredibly supportive and kind. But one of the leaders said, you know, you just realize you need to realize the enemy is trying to use you to destroy CBN. You know, Pat's a good, strong, godly man and he's got good, you know, but you're the weak link in the chain. And, and honestly, I believed it all. I mean, I already felt like I remember the drive. It was three hours from Virginia up to Washington, D.C., where the hospital was. And there was a horrible storm. One of those ones when the sky goes kind of greenish gray. And I honestly believed it was because God was angry with me. Hmm. And so. Little by little, God started dismantling these lies. Well, yeah. I mean, I I remember the first um, morning that I met with my psychiatrist, and he talked about medication, and I said, hey, dude, I don't want any, any of your happy pills. And he announced that, that that would be street drugs. That wasn't what they did. And yeah. he talked about you know, the need that my brain was simply not producing enough serotonin to be able to function well. And But it was just – I remember in my first session – with a therapist who had up what he called the shame profile and all this stuff. And he said to me at first, Sheila, do you feel shame? And I said, no, no, I'm, I'm not. I don't. I feel fine. And then he showed me all these things. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, if you put it like that. Uh, and it was just such an eye opener. I feel like it was like falling off the shelf and joining the rest of those who love God, but don't have all the answers. Wow. So how long did it take? Like, cause that was, that was a long time ago, relatively speaking. I mean, how, how long did it take for you to go from that stage to jumping back into a pretty high profile ministry, right? With women of faith and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, I never intended to, when I got out, cause that was 1992. When I got out of the hospital, you know, Pat said, do you want to work at Regent university or, and I said, no, I want to go back to seminary. Cause I did my undergraduate degree in London, basically trying to make sure I knew everything I had to do to keep the love of God. And I thought, I want to go back to seminary. I went to Fuller Seminary mm. this time to understand our story and what Christ has already accomplished. And it was then that I met my husband um, wow. and, and we got married and we had our son. And while I was still pregnant, Steve Arterburn, who's head of Women of Faith, who'd started it, called and said, you know, we started this little thing for women. Would you like to be a speaker? And I said, absolutely not. I mean, the thought <laughs> standing up in front of a bunch of women horrified me. And he said, would you at least come and meet some of the other speakers? And they lived in LA where I was living. So I sat around the table with Barbara Johnson, who talked about what it's like to go and identify your son sent home from Vietnam in a body bag, but because he'd lain face down for three days in a rice paddy, 
she couldn't even recognize him. Um, I listened to Patsy Claremont talked about how she used to be so agoraphobic she couldn't leave her house and she smoked three packs of cigarettes a day. And as I heard one story after another, I thought, I actually might fit in here. It's so clear that this wasn't 10 things to do to be a better Christian woman. It was women whose lives had fallen apart and in the ashes had found a relationship with Christ that was worth everything. Wow. So you joined them. And how long did you do that gig? 20 years. Wow, that's crazy. I know. It was like 20, well, Sunday's 30 weekends a year for 20 years. I never missed one. Wow. But how fun was that, huh? To see, what did you see? Uh, give us like a picture of, you know, I think, you know, Christian ministry, everybody now has a window of seeing what it looks like to be in ministry. But seriously, what was your bird's eye view of what God was doing in people's hearts? You know, it was really incredible. Um, I remember the first time because they'd done three events before I joined and those were in churches. By the time I joined, they were already in an arena. And I remember on the Friday night, walking into this arena that was sold out, like 15,000 women. I mean, it looked like you were going to, you know, I don't know, like a Shania Twain concert. <laughs> the six of us old broads carrying our purses in. It was just so ridiculous to me. Funny. <laughs> I watched the way that women leaned in. You know, we, we said from the very beginning, listen, um, we're not just going to show up and do our spot and then leave. We want to be there together. We felt like anything we had to say would come out of community. So we basically shared our lives. I mean, they were there when Barry's, my husband's dad died. We, we went through births and deaths together and really shared our lives. And I think women leaning in saw that and said, you know what, That's, we want that. We want to have our own porch of women that know us and love us through the good and the bad and the ugly. Now, uh, back 20 years ago, people weren't talking about mental health as they are now. No. Did you feel like, how did that play out in that setting too? Did you feel some stigma from the church or did you feel like on the contrary, women, God used it to connect to women in an area that they might be ashamed to talk about otherwise? I think both of those were true. I mean, there were definitely some who were very, you know, very critical and said, you know, um, I remember one person, and it was a separate event, not Women of Faith, but they said, we would like to book you, but we just need to know, are you still on medication? Oh, and I Lord. said, yes, I absolutely am. And they said, well, well you know, you can't, if you ever get better, let us know. Um, wow. But the amazing thing to me, Lena, was uh, God is such a redeemer. I mean, there's not a tear that falls to the ground that God doesn't notice. And I remember my second Women of Faith conference, the first one, I didn't really mention much about my story because I thought, I, I don't know. How is this going to relate to anybody? But we were doing an event, I think it was Seattle, Washington, and a pastor wrote to me and he said, you know, I'm pastor of a large church here. A bunch of our women are coming to your conference. My wife is not because she struggles with depression. She takes medication. No one in the church knows because she's afraid it'll harm my ministry. Would mm -hmm. you meet with her? And I said, if she's willing to, absolutely. So I got a separate room in the hotel. And he brought her in. And at first, she wouldn't even make eye contact with me. And he waited outside. And I said to her, listen, you don't have to tell me anything about your life. But if, if you have time, I would love to share some of mine. And I just basically walked her through the, the night where I literally asked God to kill me because I didn't think, I felt I couldn't take my own life and do that to my mother, but I begged God to take my life and walked her through. And by the end of an hour, we were both on our knees with tears rolling down our face. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget the moment when she left the room and ran into the arms of her husband. And I thought, Lord, I would go wow. through all of that again for that one woman, just to know 
they're not alone. So I began to speak about it very publicly. And instead of, I always thought people would think, oh, bless her heart. I hope she's not like seeing imaginary people or something. But I discovered that our brokenness is a far greater bridge to other people than pretend wholeness will ever be. Right. Uh, it's so powerful. I, I, I totally agree. Now, it's interesting because now, like 20 years later, you write a book, it's called, which by the way, you look amazing. Like anyone, seriously, you, I mean, it's, I got this book and I was like, wow. And I'm telling you, get the book just to see her amazing picture. But really, it's the book. I want to hear about it because you're still talking about it's okay not to be okay. Now, you, your son has left the house, right? He's senior. What is he now? What, yeah, you're, you're at Texas a and You're like an empty nester. And you're embarrassed. Like, talk to us about kind of what's been happening more recently in your life and what prompted this particular book. Wait, the interesting thing, Lena, was over the years, um, when I began to – I wrote about – my depression, um, then in a book, I think the last book I wrote, I wrote about the fact that I'd struggled with suicidal thoughts most of my life. And, you know, just wanted to, I, I kind of feel like we need to shine the brightest light into the darkest corners of the church. And I would get so much so mail and Facebook comments from women saying, thank you for letting me know I'm not alone. But then came this, but what now question. So I spent the last couple of years just trying to trace the journey that God had taken me on. And that's why it's kind of, the book is split up into eight simple steps to mm. move forward. It was kind of like, how do I get from where I am to move forward? I feel stuck. I'm struggling. And so I just, it's been, I really, it's been a work of, of love. I mean, I've absolutely, I wanted to make it very doable, very daily, very practical. But for me, the first step in, I mean, I'm thinking of anybody listening in right now, and you're stuck, or maybe you're angry, or you're disappointed, have a gut level conversation with God. And don't edit yourself. Because I believe to the level you're able to be honest with God is an indication of how much you trust him. When you feel to hold back, then you don't know the God of the Bible who says, come as you are. Well, well, I I think this is it. Like you're putting your finger on, like I always think of Post pockets, being a doctor, like you're just putting your finger on that. I think two thoughts. First of all, I agree. I'm looking at the table of contents, and this this book is so practical. And I think you know, for anybody who's looking for something, it's not like over your head esoteric theology. I mean, this is something that you're gonna put into your life and live out. But I want to talk a bit about this concept of being stuck as a pertain, and, and really talking about talking with the Lord because it seems so simple, right? Christians communicate with God through prayer. But what do you think, as you've watched women over the years and maybe in your own life, why can't we? Why is it so hard to go from, like, I can pray with other people, but then talking to God at this heart-wrenching level, why is it so hard for women? Yes, that's a really great question. And it's, you know, it's interesting. When I look at my, my own history, I was brought up in a small Baptist church where we knew that Jesus was our Savior and Lord and God was our Heavenly Father. We weren't quite sure who the Holy Spirit was. We knew he was, you know, one of them, but we weren't quite sure what he was doing. Then I went to seminary and I went to Charismatic Church where it was all about the Holy Spirit and about signs and wonders and miracles. And at this stage in my life, like over the last, say, four or five years, the Holy Spirit has become such a comforter to me. I look at when Jesus said to the disciples, look, I know you're going to be upset and heartbroken, when you realize that I'm gone, but this is a good thing for you because the Holy Spirit is going to come. And so for me, I've, I, I just have, I don't just talk to, to, to Christ, although I do, because to me, the whole point of life is to lift up Jesus so the Father will be glorified. But I've found 
such a companion in the Holy Spirit. And even like, like take one day last week, I had an afternoon free and I hadn't done this in a while, but I thought I'm going to go see a movie by myself. The theater was pretty empty and I was sitting in the back row and I had the screen on my iPhone, you know, brightness down as far as it would go. But I knew that Christian, my son had a test that day. So I was watching for a text. So a text came in and I picked the phone up and this guy at the end of my row stood up and yelled at me and said, put that thing down. You know, that's against the rules. What? Yeah. But here's the thing that really shocked me, Lena. I mean, I'm 62. I gave my life to Christ when I was 11. That's 51 years of the faithfulness and mercy of God. But my response in that moment, I wanted to punch his lights out. There was nothing godly about me yeah. in that moment. I just mean, like, me. <laughs> I was like, listen, I just want, you know, anyway, I'm not going to. I, but I, I mean, fortunately, I didn't say all of that, but it was in my spirit. And when I got out of the movie theater and I sat in my car, I just had to have this honest conversation with Lord and say, look, Lord, I don't like me today. I don't like what I still see in me. That for me, prayer has not, it's not something on my to-do list anymore. It's on my who I am list. It's like, it's just a constant thing of, you know, walking past people and asking the Lord about them and it's, it's just become, you know, I used to say, I mean, when we were in Sunday school, um, we would sing all these songs about Jesus as my best friend, that he wants me for a sunbeam. And they were lovely, but they weren't very real to me. But I can honestly say there is no one in this world I'm closer to that I consider more of my dearest friend than the Lord. That's pretty awesome. I wonder how we can, like, even I'm thinking through, how do you help someone get I feel like trials are a part of it, the difficult stages in life, the pain. Yeah, unfortunately, that's that's true. And you definitely don't wish that on anyone. But it's, I remember on that very first night in the psych hospital, I remember I didn't get into bed. I just pulled the blanket off and sat in the corner of the room. And I, I wrote in my kind of journal that first night, I never knew you lived so close to the floor because I was so used to churches where we, sang about God's mercy and, you know, praise as we should, because God is amazing. But I discovered the truth of Psalm 34. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and save, saves those who are crushed in spirit. But I really do believe in our desire to get closer to God, it's got to start with us being honest, you know, telling God, you know, this makes me mad. Why did you allow that? Why didn't you stop that? And when you begin to pour your the insides of your soul out, then I think that that makes space for grace because you're not holding things back. How do you read the Bible, Sheila? Like, what's your approach? Do you have a, you walk through the Bible, do you take random ways? I do a couple of things. Um, I do have a through the Bible in a year plan. Um, at the moment, I'm like Leviticus and two Psalms behind, but I do have it. Um, but, but I also, like I'll choose um, a particular book um, at the moment, it's John's Gospel. And, you know, I'm looking to see how many chapters there are in John's Gospel. You've got like 20, yeah, 21. So I divide it into seven, seven, and seven. And so for a week, I'll just read the first seven chapters of John over and over and over. Um, and then at the end of that week, I'll write down the things that really spoke to my heart. And then I'll move on to seven through 14. And then for another week that I... I you know, when, when David said, um, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, I think what to me that says is whatever I'm meditating in my heart is what's going to come out of my mouth. 
So if I want to be more Christ-like, if I want to have a bigger picture than what's going on right now, I need to meditate on the Word of God and let it sink deep. That's so good. Uh, what do you see when you uh, observe, like you've been around women's ministry a lot and women and women in ministry. How is the state of affairs of women in the church today from your observation? You know, it, it's interesting because there's still so much debate about women in ministry. And there's a lot going on about the whole Me Too movement as well in the church. And I have to say, when I look around at so many of the leaders in the nation that I love, I'm blown away by the women that we have um, who are standing strong, whether it's Lisa Young or Holly Wagner or Chris Kane or any. I mean, there's so many women who have a heart to serve and to pour into the lives of other women and to mentor younger women, you know, and and kind of walk beside them that I have to say, I mean, I travel, you know, it's interesting because this week, even I was looking at my interview schedule and one of, I have a long interview with um, uh, someone on the Catholic network and I'm fa- I'm so excited about that. But then two hours after that, I have a long conversation with a Jewish rabbi. So I kind of love that. I, but everywhere I travel and go, I see God on the move. That's so exciting. I mean, I, I think that's a lot of cynicism in the church right now and a lot of sense I feel in our culture that nothing good is happening and sort of a hopelessness. If you let it take root, it can just really explode in, in people's hearts and minds. But that's not really the real story, is it? No. I mean, Paul, for example, I mean, he went through so much. I mean, I, I, I don't know of another human being, and I know there will be out there. I personally don't know of anyone who, as a believer went through so much. I mean, his, the, the Roman, the lashings where it was like 39 lashes because the forties would have killed you, whether it was being stoned and left for dead. I mean, stoning was never a punishment. Stoning was a death sentence, everything he went through. But then he talked about these trials that build our character and then they lead to this hope. And this hope will not disappoint. This, the hope that we have in Christ is not wishful thinking. It's an absolute rock solid foundation that you can rest your weary head on. Hmm. Uh, completely off the topic. I know this is sort of going left field, but I just feel compelled in my spirit to ask you. You mentioned briefly uh, your age, which stunned me, and I wanted to say something. But you, you really, I, I, I'm really, I, you look fabulous. So give us some tips. Like what you know, what have you done in your life that has served you well to? to be healthy at this stage despite i mean despite again the mental health stuff can take a toll on people and so you can go through that and it can affect your physical bodies but you 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 really look healthy to me in the picture and of course i know it's just a picture but what what are some tips you can give women who are listening health-wise okay any of you who are under 30 moisturize your neck you'll thank me later (laughs) but it's just that's tell us more about that why do you think that's so important because if you don't, then you get to a certain age, you know, as you age and you're a doctor, so I'm probably getting it wrong, but you know, your skin gets thinner, it produces less collagen. So um, Whole Foods or lots of other places, they they do this stuff, collagen peptides, and you can just put a spoonful in your coffee or your tea. It, there's no flavor at all, but it strengthens your nails and your hair and it makes your skin better. And part of it, honestly, with me is hereditary. Um, and probably because I lived in Scotland the first 20 years of my life where I got rained on every single day, so I was well moisturized. <laughs> when my mom died a couple of years ago, and in Scotland you don't have a viewing. And so by the time that I 
flew over. My sister had already provided the funeral home with an outfit, but I, I went over to them and I said, listen, I just want to see my mom one last time. And it was, it was such an amazing thing looking at her um, at rest, knowing she wasn't there, knowing she was home free. But I looked at her face and something strange occurred to me because at the funeral home, they put like a pale lipstick on her. Huh. And I thought, I don't think my mom ever wore makeup, but I'd never noticed because she was so beautiful and strong and kind inside. And it's just, you know, it's just interesting. So to me that the beauty it shines out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do you have a regimen? Do you exercise? Like in general, are you a pretty active person? What do you like doing for fun? I like to crawl toward the coffee machine in the morning. <laughs> That's good. That's very encouraging. That's awesome. And so uh, you don't go out of your way to hit the gym or anything like that. Oh, you just do gosh, No, I do have a membership, I believe, but, you know, I, I don't actually go. Well, I mean, I think what you're saying is so true, though. I think there's a certain joy that radiates externally. Yeah. And, and, and I don't mean, I mean, I really believe it. I see it in the ER all the time. Unhappy people look older and, you know, feel more miserable. And I think there's a joy in you that clearly is is there. Um, what has surprised you the most about the Lord in your lifetime? Wow, what an interesting question. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that. Um, I think it would be... Because you, you you live with these two things are both true but appear not to be compatible, and that is that God is all powerful and that God is all loving. So if He's all powerful, He could intervene when people are struggling, but He doesn't. So then you think, well, what if He's maybe He's not all loving, or if He's all loving but people are still being killed in horrible accidents, maybe He's not all powerful. So I I start with the premise of I believe as deep as a marrow in my bones that God is all powerful and He is all loving, but terrible things happen in this earth. But I think what has surprised me the most is the depth to which Christ redeems that pain. Like a couple months ago, it might be more than that now, I was speaking at a women's conference somewhere in Texas, and there were maybe like a thousand women, but there was this one gentleman sitting in the ed- end of a row. And I kind of, I wondered if he was maybe the pastor of the church. But at the end, after I'd spent you know an hour or so talking to women, I realized he was waiting to say hi to me. So I went over and he turned his full face toward me and half of his face was almost gone. And his voice was very affected. And he told me that when he was 15 years old, he put a gun underneath his chin and he pulled the trigger. And in that millisecond, between when the bullet left the gun and entered his skull, he heard Jesus say, do you want to live? And he said, yes. Wow. So the bullet is still in there, but you know, a huge scar on his face. And I said to him, do you, when you look in the mirror, is that a reminder of a very painful time and a choice you wish you could take back? And he said, oh no, it is a daily reminder of the grace of God. Oh, so oh, I think so- that that is just... I think for me, that's been the most amazing thing, just to watch the way that in the worst of circumstances, when, when people invite Christ into the, the ugly places, the way that he redeems our pain. Oh, that's a powerful story. What are you reading right now? At the moment, I am reading a book called Paul, a biography by Tom Wright. Where is the scholar from? Research professor of New Testament and early Christianity at the University of St. Andrews, oh, in Scotland. Great. I started his book and I haven't continued it because of really? time. But it's worth, yeah, I just ran out of time. But I know. It's worth hitting again, huh? Yeah, I'm really, I'm, I'm only like maybe a tenth of the way into it, but I'm really enjoying it. 
Oh, that's wonderful. Well, I'll tell you what, I want to give away a couple of your books today. So I, I, I just want to, you know, bless a couple of you listening today. I, I think that this conversation really, it feels like a, just such a comfortable conversation with someone you've known for a while. So if you connect with any part of Sheila's story, it's okay not to be okay. Go ahead and email me and I'll just randomly pick a couple of people basically in the next 24 hours. Email me, lena at livingwithpower.org. Y'all know that. Or go to livingwithpower.org to the contact page and shoot me an email. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you guys uh, two people a book. And otherwise, you guys can get this on all um, the book outlets. If you want to find out more about Sheila, you can go to her website. How can people contact you? Um, you can go to SheilaWalsh.com or on Facebook. I'm Sheila Walsh Connects. Twitter, I'm Sheila Walsh, and Instagram, I'm Sheila Walsh One. That's awesome. You know what I'm gonna do, show Sheila? I'm gonna. I what I'm gonna do is even if we run it after, I'm gonna go ahead and give our listeners a shout out even today and in the next week so that they know about the freebies that you have because that's pretty awesome. And uh, people love any book that is read by someone with a Scottish accent. So right there, you've got at least ten people who are gonna be signing up for this, which is pretty cool. <laughs> Thanks, and I appreciate that. Now, really, it's honestly, it's been so fun hearing little bits of your story and I know you get into some of those things in your book as well but I I appreciate your time I know this is a busy time of year for you with the book coming out thank you for being on oh I've loved it thanks for having me thanks for your patience as you try to get it scheduled oh you're kidding me you're the easiest person I've had to schedule but you should see some people but uh, all in all um, this is this was great and guys if you're listening um, just Email me any thoughts, any feedback. Share this podcast with your friends. Uh, Yana will be back next week. And just uh, remember, the God is for you. He's not against you. And uh, don't give up. You know, as Sheila's uh, life message is, God is always for you. I really believe that from the bottom of my heart. So catch you guys next week. Have an awesome day. Take care.